0: You could be seated. Let's dig into God's Word today. Continuing our series, Free Indeed, because the heart of God for you in every area of your life is to walk in freedom and victory. I'm just telling you, the heart of God for you is to live in freedom and victory. I'm grateful that Jesus came to make a way that we could get to heaven. But on this side of eternity, Jesus came to make a way that you might live in the abundant, victorious kingdom life of Jesus. And listen, in Luke chapter 4, where I told you to turn, is Jesus quoting an Old Testament passage, Isaiah 61, which is a prophetic passage about the anointing, the grace, the calling, the assignment that would rest upon Jesus as the Messiah. He is telling us what he came to do in your life. This is who he is and what he came to do in your life. And let's watch what he says. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news, preach the gospel, tell people about the way to get to back to relationship with the good heavenly father and to make it to eternal life in God. He said, I came to bring spiritual sight, faith and vision for your future, regardless of what you've been through or are going through today. Blessing, favor and abundance, the year of the Lord's favor upon your life. And then he says, I came to, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and to set the oppressed free. The only one that's emphasized twice is freedom. And I've been, and just grace me as I kind of unpack some things and revisit some of the foundational truths of this, of this series, this particular thing that we're recapping is foundationally important and critically important to today's message that we're going to dive into. But he said, I came to set the captives free, the oppressed free, the prisoners free. He said, he talks about two different concepts right there and we tend to lump it all together. But I believe that the word of God is very specific and distinct. And these are two different distinct things. And in my life, I've shared there are some things, there are some times, there are some ways that because of my own rebellious nature, because of my own pride, because of my own fallen nature, I've said some things, I've thought some things, and I've done some things for which I would, truth be known, be guilty of and worthy of the punishment or the penalty or the sentence that was owed to me. There are some other places in my life, and in your life, no doubt, where things were done to you or said to you, abuse, neglect, hatred, things that were done to you that you, you did not deserve, did not expect. But nonetheless, the enemy has tried to use those things, the oppression from outside forces to put you in bondage because of the abuse, because of the neglect, because of the hate. Here's what Jesus was saying. He's saying... The things that you have acted out on and done and the things that were done to you, both of which will put you in spiritual bondage, I've come to set you free and heal you, both of those things and everything in between. That's good news. That's good news. The heart of God is for you to walk in freedom. Freedom for prisoners, the oppressed made and set free. Galatians 5 verse 1 says, it is for freedom, say freedom, Freedom. that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then, do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke, of slavery, And in this series, my heart has been, our heart has been that you would discover the ability to walk free from the pain of your past, free from condemnation that the enemy uses to try to tether you to your past, to keep you walk from walking in freedom, in faith towards the future that God has for you, and he has a future for you. The heart has been to help you to be set free from legalism that binds from strongholds of sin, like fear and anger and lust, from inner vows and word curses, from mental strongholds. And today we're going to dig into the thing that I've been mentioning all along from generational iniquities, which are mindsets or patterns of behavior that may have been unintentionally by well-intended family members modeled before you or handed down to you. And I'm going to show you this morning how the, the heart of the Lord is in every area where there was a generational curse, a generational iniquity, something that was modeled or behaved before you that caused you to see the world differently or or caused you to have a mindset or a pattern of thought that now is not according to God's standard. God wants to bring healing in that area today. Ephesians 6, verse 10, one more foundational verse and we'll dig into God's word today. It says this, we've been reading it every week. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle, your struggle, is not against flesh and blood. It's not against your boss. It's not against your spouse. It's not against a politician or a party. And, and as we dig in today about these generational iniquities, it's not against your parents or your grandparents or your aunt and uncle or the person that was used as the enemy to perpetrate something against you. It's not about people. And he says, but it's against the rulers, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil and heavenly realms. He says, there's a spiritual battle being waged over your life. There's a spiritual battle being waged over your heart. There's a spiritual battle being waged over your marriage. There's a spiritual battle being waged over your ability to raise your kids to know and serve and fear God. There's a spiritual battle being waged here. He says, don't get caught up in warring against the people. He says, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, those spiritual attacks come and all those places that matter to God and therefore should matter to you. He says, then you'll be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. There's a spiritual battle over your life. But here's the good news of this series. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Praise be to God who gives us the victory through Christ Jesus. And what we're about to dig into is kind of deep and it's very sensitive and it's very personal. So I want to take a moment and just underline this, affirm this, remind this, and ask you, would you grab a hold of this revelation, this fact? that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Whatever you're up against today, I'm just telling you that God is with you and he's for you. And today, if you'll grab a hold of what God is doing and speaking and leading and prompting to you in your life, there is a pathway to new measures of freedom and victory in Jesus today. Regardless of what you've been through, regardless of what you're up against, it's the truth. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 13 is a place that I wanted to visit before we actually dig into the passages about generational iniquities. The Lord just reminded me about this. And again, I'm coming to, before we dig into some of these things, that are near and dear and close and sensitive to our hearts because they're connected to family and the way we were raised and the way we're longing to lead our lives and raise our children moving forward. And inevitably, it's going to deal with us recognizing some things and repenting of some things and and, and embracing or rededicating ourselves to some some things. The Lord wanted me to remind you and just undergird, just affirm in a way that is unshakable. Greater is he who is in you. You have victory in Christ in all of these areas. And in 2 Kings 6, verse 13 through 17, we find an evil king who is looking to take Elisha out, the prophet of God, because Elisha has been doing great and mighty works for God, and it's been complicating the secular agenda of this evil king. And in verse 13, he says, go and find where he is. And the, he says, so I can send troops to seize him. In other words, put him into bondage. And the report came back, Elisha is a dothan. So one night the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. And you might remember a couple weeks ago when we talked about um, um, the the demonic advice that was given to Absalom from from Ahithophel to go and to capture David. One man. They were just after one man. And he said, I'd send 12,000 troops to overwhelm David. And many times the enemy will try to come and overwhelm you. And it's what we find right here. The enemy up to his old dirty tricks. They're after one man. They're after one person. He said, send a great army, many chariots and horses to surround. How many of you have ever felt, felt surrounded on all sides? Like any way you turn, there's just a problem or there's a person or there's a difficulty or there's a disappointment or there's doubt on all sides. The enemy will try to surround you. But watch what happens here. The reality of the situation, what you see is not the fullness of the story. What you hear might not be the fullness of the story. There's a realm that's higher. God's ways are higher. There's an there's a army that's fighting with you and for you that you might not see, but it's there. And I'm telling you, you need to grab a hold of it in faith and watch, read on, verse 15. When the servant of the man of God got up the next morning, again, this army has descended upon them to surround them, to intimidate them. And it caused them to, to, to give up, to, 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 to abandon the work of God in their lives. And it says, when he got up, went up the next morning, went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere from the enemy. And he said, oh, sir, what will we do now? And I think the emphasis of that statement was probably desperation and hopelessness, not a request for legitimate marching orders about what their next steps would be. The tone of it was, what are we going to do now? <sighs> we're trying to serve God. We're trying to, we're trying to build God's kingdom. And look, oh, we're surrounded on every side. I can't look one direction without finding something that's up against me or pressing against me. Now watch what Elisha did. He said in verse 16, Don't be afraid. Listen, I don't know what you're up against today, but that's the word of the Lord for you today. Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of love and a power and a sound mind. Do not be afraid. Come on, look at someone. If you're blessed to be sitting next to someone right now, just tell them, Don't be afraid. Look at the other person who's your second choice and tell them, Don't be scared. Catch this, watch this, watch this. Why, 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 why? We have every reason in the world to be afraid, Elisha. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, reading on verse 16. For there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, O oh Lord, open his eyes and let him see. We walk by faith and not by faith. Come on, it's my prayer for you today. Lord, open their eyes. Let them see the reality of who is with them and for them and fighting for them. Come on, 10,000 armies. He's greater than 10,000 armies. That's the one that's with you and for you, whatever you're up against today. Maybe today you need to see it in a way that causes you to live and to walk and to speak and to talk with greater confidence because you know you're imperfect. You've blown it a few times, but there's still a God who is with you and for you and he's marching for you. He's fighting your battles. He goes before you and behind you. His blessing, his favor is resting upon you. Come on, remember what Jesus said. He came to proclaim good news. He came to proclaim the favor of the Lord upon your life. He came to give you spiritual sight, restore sight for the blind. He came to set the captives free. He came to set those who have been oppressed free. He's with you. He's for you. I pray that you would open their eyes, open their eyes, open their eyes and let them see. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with God's horses and chariots of fire. There were more that were with them than who were against them. And you know what? You remember that in the Bible, a third of the angels fell with Lucifer. You know what that means? Two-thirds of the angels are still with you. For every one that's against you, there's two that are with you. For every one lying voice, for every one doubting voice, for every one demonic voice, for every one demonic attack, there are two that are still with you, standing with you, going alongside you, fighting for you, leading you on, cheering you on. Come on, somebody ought to say thanks to God. Don't let the enemy overwhelm you. Don't let them overwhelm you. Surrounded, pressed on all sides, but we're pressed, but not crushed. We're persecuted, but not destroyed. Greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world today. What God's gonna do, what God's gonna reveal in your life, he only reveals things because he wants to heal things today as we dig into this sensitive topic, this topic that's kind of intertwined into who we are, it's tied to family and it's tied to legacy and it's tied to heritage and it's tied to what should be near and dear in most of our hearts, the legacy that we're going to pass on to our own children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren and the children we will never see with our earthly eyes, but we'll be cheering on from all eternity. It's it's near and dear, it's a sensitive topic, but I want to encourage you today, whatever it is that God reveals in you, he wants to heal in you. And he's made a way through the cross of Jesus Christ. So let's dig into this. Numbers 14, Numbers 14 how to be set free from the bondage of what the Bible refers to as iniquity, generational iniquity. Here's what it says, Numbers 14, verse 18. It says, The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. Come on, that's good news. But he's a God of justice, and so watch what it says. He he, he can't turn a blind eye to sin. And it says, he will by no means clear the guilty. He, in other words, he, he, he can't just look away. There had to be something that was done about this issue called sin in our lives. And it says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation. Now turn, if you want to, to Ezekiel chapter 18. They'll put it up behind, you can follow. And this is a scripture. That makes a comparative statement that actually could seem to contradict what we just read about the iniquities of the fathers visiting the third and the fourth generation. But it doesn't contradict, it actually clarifies for us. And so watch what this says, Ezekiel 18 verse 20. The one who sins is the one who will die. The child will not share the guilt of the parent, nor will the parent share the guilt of the child. The righteousness of the righteous will be credited to them. The wickedness of the wicked will be charged against them. So it seems like it could be contradictory, but here's the thing, which is true? And the answer is always both. They're both true, and it doesn't contradict. It brings clarity, and here's what it's saying. It's saying that your eternal destination and your salvation cannot be purchased for you because you come from a good Christian family. Your destination is secure in eternity only because of your personal revelation of who Jesus is and your personal decision to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior. Your eternity is determined by your decision of who Jesus is to you. And a godly parent can't get you there. And a godly parent can't keep you from going there. A sinful parent can't keep you from going there. A sinful child can't keep you from going there. Your eternity is determined by your determination of who Jesus is. But the other, the, it's also true that iniquities are visited to the third and the fourth generation. And we see in the NLT translation, it says this and be, puts it real clearly. It says, the iniquities of the fathers affect the whole family, even to the third and fourth generation. And so your salvation is not hindered or delivered to you by the goodness of your family. Come on, somebody say thank you. I'm I'm so grateful for that. It's right here. It's right now. It's in my heart. It's my determination of what to do with Jesus. Is he my personal Lord and Savior? But can we also agree that we've all felt the way that sin and pain and divorce and error Iniquity affects us even to the third or fourth generation. Something that was said, something that was done, something that I desperately longed and needed for, the affirmation, the encouragement, the Father to be present in my life, those things have an impact on our life, for good or for bad. Today in the areas where the enemy has tried to pass something on to you, deliver something to you, model something to you, that's beneath the standard of God's word and his heart today, he wants to bring healing to you. He wants to bring strength to that area. He wants to challenge you, charge you, and equip you to be the one who takes a stand in your lineage of faith and say, Our family might have thought that way. Our family might have believed that way. Our family might have rebelled that way. But today, in this moment, in this time, I realize that I stand in a moment in time that I have the opportunity to do what God's word says, which is submit my life and my family, my marriage, my heart, my future to God and resist the enemy that he would flee and say, Today, starting today, there's a new place of faith. There's a fresh place of faith. a new consecration. There's a new dedication. We, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and my children will hear and know. Their children will hear and know. The grandchildren I might not ever meet will look back at to, to me and to my spouse in this moment and say, praise God that they took a stand for righteousness and taught us how to love and serve God. That's the opportunity that every one of us has. That's the opportunity that every one of us has. And here's the thing that I understand in a room this size especially, some of us had very godly parents who were imperfect but were endeavoring to raise us to know and fear God, raising us in church, raising us in the word of God. Some of you had parents that were very evil. Some of you had parents who were abusive, absent. Some of you had parents who intentionally inflicted pain in your life. And listen, I'm telling you, whether you are at one extreme or the other, you had parents who were very godly serving and building in the house of God and causing you and calling you and prompting you to know God and serve God and learn the Bible and recite the Bible and be in church, or you had parents who were very evil and intentionally inflicted pain on your life or anywhere in between, this message is for you. Because whether your parents were really good parents, here's the thing, here's the truth, they weren't perfect. And if you had parents that were very harsh and hard and abusive or neglected you, This message is for you today because I'm telling you, greater is he who is in you. And today, whatever was dealt to you, whatever was done to you, whatever caused that oppression to come into your life that you never deserved and never expected today, I'm just telling you, you need to hear this. The heart of God is to heal you and set you free so that what has hindered you and held you back is dealt with in a way that allows you to once again begin to run the race that God has called you towards the hope and the future that he has for you because of the power of the blood of Jesus, because of the power of the cross of Jesus. I'm telling you today, you need to hear it. There are some things that you carried into this room. There are some things that you carried into this service that God wants to reveal because he desires to heal. And you have the opportunity, and I'm telling you, grab a hold of it by faith today that you're gonna leave here different than you came into this place. Any iniquity, any area that that falls beneath God's standard in your life, God wants to heal it. Iniquity. What is iniquity, Pastor T? Well, the Hebrew word is the word avon. And it means that inward fallen nature, that propensity to sin, that entered in through Adam and Eve. And listen, I say it all the time. Don't blame Adam and Eve. Don't beat them up too bad because if they hadn't blown it for us, I would have shown up soon enough to do it myself. But it's that inward fallen nature. Iniquity is that tendency to sin. It literally means, the Hebrew word literally means bent or crooked or crooked. And a few years ago, I went out fishing with my son out on the jetties where we live, South Padre Island in South Texas. And the, the, the sea mist kind of blows up over those big rocks that kind of extend a mile or mile and a half out into the Gulf of Mexico. And, and I was carrying fishing poles in one hand and a cooler in the other hand. And I hit a slick spot on there. I'd done it a thousand times, but I hit a slick spot. And I mean, I was going down and I knew it hard. And I fell down and I, and I got back up and I kind of gathered my stuff. And I looked at this finger right here and it was bent a way that I knew it wasn't supposed to be bent. Can you see that? That's as straight as I can straighten this finger. This finger right here is still straight. This is God's way, which is straight and narrow. This is iniquity. <laughs> you see that? The Hebrew word is "avon," and it literally means bent. Here's the thing: is because of iniquity, we are all bent towards sin. We're all bent towards sin. If you look up the word "bent," it means bent. It means crooked. It also means given to or inclined to a certain set of behaviors. He's bent towards whatever it is, good or bad. Iniquity is a bent. Something that is introduced to your life through the way life is modeled or the way that you're taught. Most times it's not taught, it's caught. Because how many you know most iniquity is caught more than it is taught? There's a few rare exceptions where people really are evil and they sit their kids down and teach them about racism or teach them about... You know, very few parents sit their kids down and say, I am raising you to have a poverty spirit by design. Most times it's caught by the way we live, by the way we talk, by the way we believe, by the way we think, by the way we act, or by the things that we hold back from doing because of fear of God's ability to provide or be with us. Most of them are caught, not taught. Iniquity means bent. It's our bent towards sin. Isaiah 53 verse 5, this is powerful. This is powerful. You're familiar with the scripture. It says, he was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. He was wounded outwardly for our transgressions. What's the difference? He was bruised for our iniquities. What's the difference? He was outwardly wounded for the active outward sins that you and I would commit, our transgressions, which the word means the actual act of sin, the actual words that we speak that are hateful, the actual acts of immorality. He says, I was pierced outwardly in a way that was evident by all for the healing of those things, the sins that you've committed. But he says, I was bruised. And think about a bruise. A bruise is an internal wound. A bruise is an internal wound. A bruise is bleeding on the inside. And he says, I was bruised for your iniquities. I was wounded on the inside for the inside of you. That inclination, that bent towards sin. I was bruised. I was pierced for your transgressions, the things that you actually have done, the things that I have actually said and done and thought, the sinful things. He said, I came to heal you and forgive you of those things. And he said, I was also bruised inwardly for that inward struggle, that inward battle that was introduced at the fall of man and is now extended to every man or woman who's born of man and woman. He dealt with it all. And his desire today is to, again, if he's revealing something in you as we dig into this, it's because he wants to heal something in you. He was wounded for your transgressions. He was bruised for your iniquities. Iniquities, mindsets or behaviors that are modeled or passed on again, oftentimes caught, not taught, Iniquities, these are some common iniquities. The, the list is much longer than I could have compiled, but these are just as I said. and just asked the Lord to remind me of some of the iniquities that I've, ever dealt, I've either dealt with or ministered to people in. Here's some of the common ones, fear or negativity. I mean, maybe you were raised and the glass was always half full and the other shoe was always about to drop. And whenever there was news about something that came up, there wasn't faith, there was fear, and the worst case outcome was the thing that was automatically projected upon you and expected to result in your family. Criticism or gossip, racism or chauvinism, and, and racism is, a, is one that is really powerful, as an iniquity. I really believe as I've raised kids, most of our kids don't come into the world automatically racist against other um, people that look differently than them. That's taught to them or that's modeled to them through things that we either say passively or do directly. And listen, I'm telling you, racism will not be healed in our country by a politician or a political party. Racism will be healed in our country by kingdom men and women of God who sit with our families and say, every person, black, brown, yellow, anything in between are created in the image of Almighty God and they have intrinsical worth and value and every person is worth, is equal and valuable in God's eyes. And one day, every nation, tribe and tongue will gather around the throne of God. So what we're walking out now is just dress rehearsal for all eternity. And we have no racism and there's no race, there's no place, there's no place for racism in the Christian church. There's no place for racism in Christian families. But it's an iniquity. How many of us remember things that were said or that were done, just things about those people or this or that or the other, and it's a way that the enemy was trying to impart an iniquity into your life? But today we can deal with it. We have the opportunity to be the ones that take a stand and draw a line with the blood of Jesus. Chauvinism, especially the way that men treat women, treat them as less than or as as servants to men, Legalism, in other words, just that God's always gonna, God's out to get you, and you better watch yourself, and by golly, you better hope that when Jesus comes back, you are not in an R-rated movie because you are in trouble, buddy. That's legalism. Judgment, looking at other people around you that look different or that maybe don't have as much socially or economically, and making a judgment or critical uh, appraisal of those people. Dishonor, especially towards authority and people in positions of authority. Many people are just rebellious about any authority, the president, the police officer, the pastor, anyone, the teachers, the principal, anyone who has a position of authority, there's just dishonor and that's an iniquity that can be passed on to your children. Pride, a tendency to lash out in anger or host strife, divorce, isolation, a poverty spirit or a Lack of belief that God really will provide that causes us to hoard or, to, or hinders us from being generous in the way that God's called us to do in a way that invites the blessing of God into our life. Control and manipulation. And I did this in first service, I'll do it again. How many of you, if you were blessed to grow up with a husband and a wife, a mom and a dad in your house, experienced one or the other that operated typically in control or intimidation over the other spouse, over the, 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 either the mom over the dad or the dad over the mom. Anyone experienced that growing up as a kid where there was control? Now, if you raised your hand, how many of you felt like that was a negative impact on your family? Raise your hand. All, all, the, hand, all the same hands are still up. Deception or dishonesty, even if it just starts with white lies, just be careful with that because you get good at what you practice. Anger, addictions, Immorality, adultery, common iniquities, things that were done, things that were modeled, things that pass on. Like the Bible, the Bible's telling us something because he wants us to be able to recognize the devil's schemes. Remember what we read, Ephesians 6 that you might begin to recognize the devil's schemes. And in that day, that place, that moment, that place of iniquity, you might be able to begin to put on the full armor of God and take your stand against that thing and break the curse generationally. Say, it stops with me. It stops in my marriage. It stops with my heart. It stops in our home. In Jesus' mighty name, we are not allowing that to traffic to the next generation. Again, we're drawing a line in the sand with the blood of Jesus. And there's a blessing that's going to be extended from us and through us to every generation that looks back to us, come on! That's the invitation that you and I have today. And even as we recognize these things, the Word of God calls us to honor our parents and our grandparents. It's the first commandment with a promise: honor your father and mother. The first commandment with a promise. What's the promise? If you go back and study it, if you go back and study it, that your life would be long and it would go well with you in the land that God is giving you. We all. Here's the thing: no one is immune from this command because we all had imperfect parents. I don't care how Christian, how godly your parents were, they were imperfect. We all can choose to honor them even as we recognize the ways. Here's the thing. They're imperfect and newsflash, they had imperfect parents. Your grandparents who were raised in a different generation, a different time, had some strengths, they had some weaknesses and they were raised by imperfect people. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. Eve. And no one has escaped it. We can honor them. Even as we recognize the things that we have a desire to shift and to believe differently and to model differently and to train up our children differently. All right, four things. I want to close with four steps. Four steps. Four practical things. Four things that if I believe if you recognize this. And here's the thing. There's not one person in this room that doesn't have some level of iniquity in your life some level that's meant, some level that you are kind of given to a certain mindset or behavior in your life. I'm just telling you, it's true. And what God wants to reveal, he wants to heal. Hear that today. Four steps Four things that I believe that we can do to begin to walk in levels of freedom and victory over generational iniquities and curses in our life. Number one is recognize, recognize, recognize. Does that area of my life, that area that I look towards or that area that I believe about, the way I see other people, the way I handle finances, does it line up with what God's word has to say or not? And in any area where it doesn't line up with God's straight and narrow and perfect way, which is his word and his will, there's a bent, there's, a, there's something crooked, there's something that once maybe was straight and now it's gotten off track. In that area, the invitation of God is to go back into that place through recognizing it and saying, Lord, today I recognize that that area, that way that my family has believed, that area that I was taught, that thing that was modeled to me, it's not your best and it's not your word. Recognize it. Listen, I think this is just an amazing chapter, Genesis chapter 9. And it's speaking of Noah, who just in the same chapter, in the chapter before, was the man of God who was identified by God for he and his family to be the ones who would be used of God to preserve the human race as the entire world was being judged and the flood was coming to deal with sin. And this is Noah, this is that man. And watch what it says in verse 20. And it says, After the flood, Noah began to cultivate the ground. Other translations say that he was a man of the soil, he was a farmer. And it says, he planted a vineyard, and one day he drank some of the wine that he made, became drunk, and lay naked inside his tent. He was naked, or as my friends in Texas say, naked, inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, come on, this story is getting crazier all the time. There's a guy named Ham, (laughs) saw that the father was naked and went outside and told his brothers. In other words, he saw his father and dishonored him and went out and blabbed about it. Then Shem and Japheth took a robe and held it over their shoulders. And watch what they did. They backed into Noah's tent to cover their father. And as they did this, they looked the other way so that they would not see him naked. Noah, Noah has gotten off the ark. And the first item of business was plant some grapes and make some wine and get toasted. (laughs) Don't judge him. If you had been cooped up on a boat with your family for 40 days and 40 nights, I'm just telling you, it could drive you to drinking. And the animals, I mean, come on. It's like we just cleaned. The elephants just came through again. Are you kidding me? You know, we just cleaned this level of the boat, you know. So don't judge them, you know. But here's the thing that was revealed to us. Even the man that was deemed the righteous one to be the one that preserved the human race as God was judging the world had imperfections and iniquities. If Noah's family... Recognized the imperfections in their father, how much us, how much more us. And we have the choice that these boys had. Are we going to dishonor and blab about it and tell people about it and blame and, 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 and just get stuck in that? Or are we going to do what God would have us to do and say, Lord, I recognize that my parents were imperfect. My grandparents were imperfect. Whoever it was that raised me were imperfect. I realize. There's some things that they did or didn't do that I needed to happen in a different way. But I recognize that I'm imperfect as well. And I'm just telling you, if you had parents, they were imperfect. If you are a parent, you are definitely imperfect. Because it's the position that God's put us all in. We, none of us are immune from the need to operate in honor towards our father and mother. It's the first commandment with the promise. You can honor them while also recognizing and responding to the things that you would like to see shift and go different in your life. It's just true. So number one, recognize. Number two, repent. Leviticus 26. You're saying, well, Pastor T, what do you mean? You mean I gotta repent for the sins of my fathers, the things that I didn't do? Yes, it's what the word of God instructs us to do. And there's a powerful promise on the other side of it. Watch verse 40. Leviticus 26. And he's talking about what will go right with the people of God if they return to him and they soften their hearts and they press into God. And he's, he's talking about what will go wrong if they re- continue to rebel in stubbornness towards God. And here's what he says. But if they confess their iniquity, catch this, and the iniquity of their fathers, their unfaithfulness in which, in the, which they were unfaithful to me and the ways that they have walked contrary to me. Watch what he says, verse 42. Then I will remember my covenant with Jacob my covenant with isaac and my covenant with abraham i will remember he says confess the iniquity and even the iniquities of your fathers you know what's powerful here it's it's a little deep but it's powerful every other time that god is described as the god of three generations it says abraham isaac and jacob but do you catch something here it's in reverse order it's in reverse order he says i'm the god of jacob isaac and abraham It's a little deep, but here's what I believe the Holy Spirit spoke to me, that in the same way the blessing of God was intended to walk from Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. If you're in a Jacob generation, you can take a stand and you can say, I repent for the iniquities of myself and my fathers and the blessing of God begins to go backwards through you to the previous generations. It's hard to over-apologize and over-repent in God's kingdom. Man, Lord, I repent, we... My family has had chauvinism, my family has had racism, my family has not operated the way that you would have us to operate. I I know I didn't ask to be led this way or raised this way, but Lord, I, I repent. And right now, I thank you that the blessing of God is gonna begin to work backwards through me to those previous generations, and it's gonna begin to move forward through me to the next generation. Recognize, repent. Number three, release. And it's the RE word. You notice they all start with R. You guys know how roll with alliterations hopefully helps us to remember it better, but it's really the substitute word, the RE word for forgive. Release them. Release them. Release the one who did the thing to you. Release the one who didn't do what you needed them to do. Forgive them. And this is a powerful, challenging scripture, Matthew 6, verse 14 through 15, that says this. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. If you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Sounds important to God, doesn't it? And I'm telling you, here's why it's important to you. Because I say it often, it bears repeating and it's tied to this message. When you forgive them for what they did to you, it does not make them right, it simply makes you free. When you forgive them, it doesn't justify, it doesn't make it right, what they did to you, what they said to you, the abuse, the neglect, the abandonment, it doesn't make it right. It was wrong, it should have never happened. It doesn't make them right, but it makes you free from the weight of carrying that baggage around into the future. It sets you free from it. It doesn't make them right, it sets you free. Right now, who do you need to release? Who do you need to forgive? Number four, rededicate, rededicate. We got to recognize, we have to repent, we have to release or forgive, and we have to rededicate. This is that moment in time for us to take our stand. And watch, this is a powerful couple of passages, Second Kings chapter 22, and it says, Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan who read it. Listen, he said, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. It's not some kind of metaphorical language or whatever. It means he really had found something that had been abandoned by the previous generations. He found the literal book that held the word of God that the previous generations had strayed from. They had put it on a shelf and they had walked away from it. And this is the moment in time that this generation is saying, I have found what God's word has to say about life. I found what God's word has to say about marriage. I found what God's word has to say about, insert any area of your life that's important to God and should be important to you. And he says in verse 11, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes, which was representative of him just saying, oh, we've missed the mark for generations. God's been inviting us and encouraging us and challenging us to live this way according to his standard. And we've been going our own way. He began to repent. And he said, go and inquire of the Lord for me, for the people, for all of Judah, concerning the words of this book. Because the wrath of the Lord is great that's been kindled against us. Why? Because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. And one, one more spot, and then we're gonna minister to people. Second Chronicles 29 is telling a different version of the same passage, and it says in verse three, in the first month of the year, first year of his reign, Speaking of King Hezekiah, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. He, he opened, the doors had been so unused in the house of God, in the church, that the doors had become so unused that they had fallen into a state of disrepair. And it says, he brought in the priests and the Levites and assembled them in the square and on the east side and said, listen to me, consecrate yourselves. Consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors. Remove all the defilement from the sanctuary and you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our parents were unfaithful and they did evil in the eyes of the Lord and forsook him and they turned their faces away from the Lord's dwelling place. They turned their backs on him and they shut the doors of the portico and they put out the lamps of God and they didn't burn the incense or present the burnt offerings at the sanctuary to the God of Israel. Therefore, because they've turned away from God, we find ourselves in a place where the anger of the Lord has fallen on Judah and Jerusalem, and we're an object of dread and horror and scorn, and and you can see with your own eyes, and listen, we can see with our own eyes in our culture the results that we've gotten as we have turned away from God and his word. And it said, this is why our fathers have fallen by the sword and why our sons and daughters, not maybe in a physical sense, but see this in a spiritual sense, why our sons and daughters and our wives are in captivity in bondage. And we look around at the next generation and we see confusion and we see doubt and we see hatred and we see anger. And I'm telling you, it's because there's a generation that largely has turned away from God's house and turned away from God's word. And he says, consecrate yourselves today. He goes on in verse 10 and he says, now I intend to make covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, so that his anger will turn away from us. And he says, my sons, don't be negligent. For the Lord has chosen you to stand before him and serve him. He immediately began to recognize the decision that I'm making is going to affect the next generation. Would you stand? Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. Let's trust that the Lord's going to do something deep, powerful. He's going to do a healing work in your life. Listen, if there's any iniquity that you realize and recognize today because of this message, maybe it was something I named, maybe it was something I didn't name, but you recognize again the Holy Spirit, there's a big difference between condemnation and conviction. The enemy of your soul is working in condemnation to keep you tethered to your past in a way that keeps you from moving forward because of the shame of your past. Conviction by the Holy Spirit is the gentle voice of God saying, My son. My daughter, come on, I'm calling you out of that place of shame. I'm calling you out of that place of sin because I need you to begin to run with me. I want to I run with you. There's a life, there's a race, there's a life of faith. There's an adventure that I've called you, I've prepared you, i created you for. And that thing, that error, that sin, that way, that iniquity is holding you back and hindering you. It's the voice of conviction by the Holy Spirit that says, come on, let's go. I got something new. I got something better for you. Whatever it is for you, would you just present it before the Lord? And just say, Lord, would you help me? Would you heal me? those things that were done that I didn't deserve, those things that were done that i caught through the way that life was modeled, through the way that faith was modeled, whatever it is for you, whatever wh- whatever is, is stirring in your heart, present it before the Lord. And Lord, I thank you that right now, whatever it is, Lord, whether it's racism, chauvinism, fear, whatever it is, Lord, that today you're healed, that you are here to heal your people and strengthen your people. Your desire is for us to leave this moment in time and your presence different than we came in strengthened and empowered there's a line that's being drawn in the sand in generations right now by the blood of Jesus and on the other side of this moment in time I'm just telling you you need to grab on and believe in faith that something is shifting right now over your children and their and their children your grandchildren great-grandchildren and the generations you'll never see with your earthly eyes because of this moment where you're willing to recognize get real repent and rededicate yourself and release those people release them Thank you, Lord. Right now, come on, just one more moment. This is important. I know we're running a little long, but this is powerfully important. Don't miss this moment. Everything that we've done today, everything that I've preached today is is leading up to this moment where you let God deal with something in you that he is revealing in you. Thank you, Lord, for your heart for the future generations, Lord. I pray, I claim, Lord, a future generation to know God and serve God and live for God. I thank you, Lord, that there will be an awakening in the house of God. I thank you, Lord, that there will be a revival in the homes of God. I thank you, Lord, that you are restoring and reconciling relationships right now because of the power. There's some things that maybe it was tied to a generational iniquity, but it's been manifesting in strife in your marriage. Right now, God is breaking that thing. He's dealing with that thing. Right now, there's some anger. There's some hatred that's been manifesting in anger or strife towards others in your community. And right now you realize there's a generational iniquity something that was spoken or modeled and right now the word of god the power of god is coming to break that thing and to rewrite it in jesus mighty name with the word of god which is a better word thank you lord thank you that fear is being shifted to faith lord thank you that a poverty spirit is being shifted to a spirit of trust and abundance lord thank you god that you're doing deep a deep work in the lives of your people because you desire us to leave here differently than we came in we receive it lord we receive it lastly before we worship one more time, dismiss you, give you the opportunity if you're here or you're tuning in online and you are far from God, you need Jesus in your life. You need Jesus. You need the forgiveness of a Savior. Maybe you once knew God, grew up in the church, but you've drifted from him. You're what the Bible would describe as a prodigal son or daughter. Today's your moment today's your moment. Your heavenly Father is calling you back to a place of relationship with you that transcends religion. Maybe you've never experienced what it feels like to give your life to Jesus, to receive the free gift of salvation that you cannot earn and you will never deserve. That's the message of the gospel. He came for you to pay the price you could not pay, to make a way that you would be restored back to a relationship with the good heavenly father. And if that's you today, come on with your response to Jesus to say, yes, Jesus, I need a savior. That's, That's the moment where all the weight of your guilt and sin and condemnation that's been dragging you down and holding you back is lifted off of your shoulders and removed according to the Bible, as far as the east is from the west, the Bible also says they'd be sunk to the ocean floor. That's what Jesus came to do in your life. If if that's you in either camp or anywhere in between, a prodigal son or daughter, or you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I I want to encourage you, lift your hand right now. Lift it right now towards heaven. Lift it right now. If you're online and you're worshiping with us, no one's around you, I still think you ought to lift your hand because you are not responding to a preacher. You're responding to a heavenly father who sees what he's doing in your heart. And this is just an outward sign of an inward work. And thank you, Lord, for these precious people. Thank you, Lord, for these hands that are raised that represent that heart that's changing. Coming back home, coming back home, coming back home, coming back home. Come on, let's, you can lower your hand if you raised it. And we're gonna pray this prayer over you and with you and for you. We do it together for two reasons every week. And one is because we wanna quickly come around you and affirm to you. that that there's a church family, there's a body of Christ, there are brothers and sisters who want to come alongside you and encourage you and equip you and pray for you and minister to you. We pray it together because it reminds us, even as we're growing and maturing in our faith, come on, we never graduate from grace. The life that we are building in God is built upon the grace of God. So come on, pray this prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, I recognize my need for a Savior. Thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price I could not pay to make a way that I might have a new life and a fresh start. I give you that life. I give you my trust. And because of Jesus, because of the cross of Jesus, because of the risen life of Jesus, I will never be the same. Come on, say it again. I will never be the same. And now thank the Lord for what he's done in your life and what he's doing. He's not done with you yet. He's not done with you yet.